Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 11.13 a.m. Central Daylight Time here on a Wednesday. Also, April Screw You Day. So this is going to be kind of a... uh, this is going to be a oh a, a difficult podcast to do because God only knows if half of the stories that I've selected for you guys are completely fake, right? <laughs> I have no way of knowing some of these things. Like I remember last year, I just stayed off of the internet all damn day because it's like, well, except not not all day. For the first hour, I had been screwed over like I don't know a hundred times, and I'm like, I'm done. I, I can't. I, I, I cannot disseminate really good April Fool's shit from regular shit. So, <clears throat> uh, but it is Wednesday. I promised you guys that I would do shows like every damn day of the week. And uh, most for most of the time, I actually do that. And today is going to be no different. So, uh, bear with me as I get hosed like a little son of a bitch, right? <clears throat> so, um... Where are we going to start? Let's start with gold, Jerry. Gold. (laughs) With strain on the physical gold market, is Bitcoin the next best bet? I don't know. Let's find out if we're being lied to or not by Nick Chong, writing for CryptoSlate.com. This was written today. So again, beware, guys. we, We don't know what we're in for here. In times of economic crisis, gold has been the tried and true solution for those looking to protect their wealth for decades, even centuries. Name, shall I say, millennia. No, th- that part was me. Indeed, the metal has held its value for millennia. Oh, look, it is universally loved and is scarce. The safe haven status of gold has been proven once again over the past few months with the value of gold reaching $1,700 its highest price in years, Jerry, years at the start of March. The idea with gold is that due to its scarcity and ability to retain value, it should be a good investment during times of economic stress, even amidst the unprecedented ongoing coronavirus crisis and the devastated stock market, oil, and Bitcoin. The issue is there's been a shortage of physical gold with bullion shops closed, mints shut down across the world, and mines presumably not operating. The archetypal gold bars you see in movies have become even rarer than they have been before. In fact, derivatives that offer physical delivery of gold have had to cancel or delay shipments of said physical gold. And with this, the value of physical gold and paper gold <clears throat> futures and derivatives has deviated. Crypto Slate search for one ounce gold coins and bars on eBay yielded prices above $1,800 more than 10% over the price of gold futures. Many are divided over what exactly this means for global markets, but according to Preston Pish, Pish, P-Y-S-H, 
A noted financial commentator and prominent Bitcoin bull, the shortage in physical gold could be big for the leading cryptocurrency. His tweet is as follows. If the paper and physical gold market continues to have a separation in price and the weight to receive physical gold is measured in months, where do you think those paper investors are heading to effectively short fiat? <laughs> He made his point when asked uh, when he asked his followers on March the 30th what markets investors are most likely to trade if they want to short fiat. Now that gold is under stress, Pish didn't mention Bitcoin, but as shown by his replies to comments made on his tweet, it is clear he sees the cryptocurrency as one of gold's alternatives. Indeed, many have begun to believe that with a strong gold price but a stressed-out bullion market, it makes sense for Bitcoin to start absorbing some of the demand gold would normally see in times of crisis, pseudonymous industry commentator Zender explained in an extensive thread that the shortage of physical gold will expedite BTC's rise to become an investable hard asset because of the 24-7 availability and because physical gold will be difficult to spend in a digital world. Furthermore, it's much easier to seize one's physical gold than one's Bitcoin. Not to mention, unlike gold, which can be found on other planets in vast quantities, Bitcoin is absolutely scarce with a strict 21 million coin limit enforced by a network of decentralized miners across the globe. That alone... The scarcity model from Plan B predicts will make BTC more valuable than gold over the coming decades. Okay, so that's that's the end of Nick Chong's article. But with some commentary here, yeah, you're not going to get away without some commentary. It is not that the 21 million coin limit is enforced by a network of decentralized miners. Nodes, baby, nodes. This is why I run my own node. My node will look and determine whether or not the 21 million coin limit is being enforced and will just absolutely refuse any kind of code change whatsoever that says that we're lifting the 21 million cap. It'll end up, that would end up being a hard fork and I would make sure that my node is following the 21 million coin cap limit uh, version of Bitcoin than anything else. We've seen this a lot with, diff with different kinds of things, uh, most notably the uh, SegWit2x debacle where they wanted to raise the, uh, God, the block size to two megabytes. We got SegWit in and then basically told everybody to screw off and the miners capitulated because they know that without the nodes, their efforts are indeed worthless. Okay, so while miners do play a role in this whole thing, you can't just not talk about the nodes. The nodes are every bit as important as the miners because it's the nodes that sit in between the end user and the people that actually mine the Bitcoin, okay? That's not something to just not talk about, right? Also, I, am, I think I'm almost done with a Tales from the Crypt podcast where Marty Bent is talking to, and I cannot, I'm so sorry guys, but I cannot remember the gentleman's name, a uh, very, uh, very bullish gold guy. Um, and he was talking about this physical delivery uh, or lack thereof. It's a really interesting podcast. And it's, it's one of uh, TFTC's last podcasts. So just go over to TFTC and find, I don't know, find the descriptions of whoever it is that's talking about gold. 
I would I highly recommend that particular one because it he really explains what's going on with physical delivery of gold and the nuances of how it's delivered, where it's delivered, why it's delivered, and the fact that it hasn't been being delivered and what that actually means. Very, very good episode. Highly informative. Highly recommend that you go over to Tales from the Crypt uh, and uh, find that particular episode because it really does kind of get into the nuts and bolts of what this CryptoSlate article was talking about. Now, getting on into the morning roundup, or rather this news you can use, we have this one written from the Daily Hodel staff for you guessed it, Daily Hodel. This was written today. Again, be aware. It's April screw you day, so we could get screwed. Crypto giant Binance poised to acquire coin market cap. $400 million price tag, likely. Uh, this is a report. And it says global Bitcoin and cryptocurrency exchange Binance is reportedly in the final stages of acquiring crypto market data provider coin market cap, the leading platform for comprehensive data aggregation on crypto prices market capitalizations, circulating supplies, 24-hour trading volumes, rankings, charts, and historical datas, data of Bitcoin and the rest of the shitcoin stock. <clears throat> According to the block, the blockbuster acquisition involves a cash and stock deal worth $400 million. Negotiations are expected to be finalized sometime this week. While the deal is not yet confirmed, Binance chief executive Sheng Peng Chao wrote in a New Year's message that the company was working on two acquisitions that he was very excited about. He also noted that all of Binance's acquisitions in the past have been fueled by finding top talent that they can't beat. Web analytics software similar web shows that CMC is beating Binance in terms of web traffic by 80%. The crypto market market aggregator had 207.2 million visitors in the last six months. Meanwhile, Binance attracted 113.8 million visitors over the same stretch. Should the deal push through, it would be one of the largest acquisitions in the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry to date. In 2018, global crypto finance startup Circle acquired crypto exchange Poloniex for 400 million in the same year Belgian-based investment company NX, NXMH acquired an 80% stake in crypto trading firm uh, Bitstamp in an all-cash multi-million dollar deal. Okay, so CZ is buying uh, coin market cap. And uh, I mean, at first I was kind of like going, geez, who would pay $400 million for this thing? But that's a lot of traffic. I mean, over 200 million visitors in the last six months, that, that ain't nothing to sneeze at. So it does make sense for Binance to acquire this thing, but it is a, it is a picture of all the shit coinery. So yeah, good luck with that. Okay. Again, reminding everybody it's April screw you day. We have this one. Now this one, I, I, I just don't know about. Anatol Anatovici or Antonovici is writing today for Bitcoinist.com that Bitcoin creator also founded Monero. New research suggests, again, be aware. While no one knows who's behind the Satoshi Nakamoto name, a research document suggests that the Bitcoin creator might have also developed another cryptocurrency, Monero. New research by Monero Outreach 
concludes that Bitcoin and Monero might be the creation of the same person or entity. Monero is a cryptocurrency that came out of a, in 2014 to address Bitcoin's privacy issues, while the former uses a public ledger. No one can trace transactions on it, which makes XMR the most used coin among dark web users. Monero's white paper was published on December the 12th, 2012, about three years after Bitcoin's Genesis block. The author of the white paper is, white paper is Nicholas von Saberhagen. As you might guess, this is also a pseudonym, so no one knows who created Monero. Monero outreach suggests that Satoshi Nakamoto and Nicholas van Saberhagen are the same entities. The main argument provided by the research authors is that Nakamoto had a clear motive to release the crypto note white paper, the document laying out the Monero concept in a Bitcoin talk forum post from August 2010. Nakamoto shared the first concepts of privacy that would later show up in Monero's white paper, including stealth addresses and ring signatures, which hide receivers and senders of XMR. Besides this, when crypto note 1.4, Zero came out. Nakamoto had already observed Bitcoin's block size changes and mining reward having. Monero's blockchain addresses those issues. It also improved the proof of work to make mining more available to anyone using typical GPUs. When analyzing the writing style of both white papers, one can notice a style connection between the two. The authors of the research used Stylometry, a software program called Java Graphical Authorship Attribution Program and figured out that the author of the crypto note white paper was more likely to be Nakamoto than the author of any other 15 leading papers picked from the Monero literature. Some similarities are visible with the naked eye. For instance, both white papers use the spelling of favor slash favorable, the contraction can't instead of this typical style observed in academically formatted papers and the wording in this paper, we. Also, both documents use black and white line drawings with solid dashed lines. <clears throat> Thunderosa, Monero Outreach Creative Lead, commented, quote, when you look at those two documents side by side, you can get floored by the crazy similarities. Maybe we should start calling the author Satoshi Van Saberhagen. No, no, we will not. However, Research authors don't expect that the Bitcoin or Monero community would embrace this revelation. XR Hemel and Monero outreach organizers said, quote, like many, I'm still processing this. I will, though, say with confidence that if Satoshi Nakamoto is Nicholas Van Saberhagen, Monero was Satoshi's greatest work, Jesus. All in all, the main conclusion is that Craig Wright must be a genius. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Oh, God. So, okay, guys, again, be very careful today and probably tomorrow, as many of you will be going to bed right when. Okay, never mind. Just be freaking careful because this is the amount of bullshit that's going to be raining down on us today uh, is, man, it, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. So, again, Keeping that in mind, here's Will Heisman writing for Decrypt.co. Billionaire drops Ethereum from his portfolio, keeps VeChain. Ethereum has been booted from billionaire Jim Breyer's crypto investments while rival VeChain remains intact. This was written today. American venture capitalist and billionaire Jim Breyer proudly sported Ethereum among his diverse investments until recently. So what happened to knock Ethereum off Brayer's distinguished pedestal? 
Breyer's litany of investments range from social giants such as Facebook to music streaming monolith Spotify, but he's been particularly bullish on blockchain-based businesses as well. Breyer counts Ethereum, Circle, and VeChain among the firms he's graced as an angel investor. However, while the latter two remained untouched, Ethereum has mysteriously vanished. Decrypt reached out to Bayer Capital and will update this article if we hear back. While Ethereum holders angst over the potential loss, rival VeChain proponents rejoiced that Breyer seemingly spared their token. Some Redditors believed it could have been an April Fool's gag. Others suggested that Breyer simply got fed up with waiting for Ethereum 2.0. Quote, after waiting for Ethereum 2.0, he finally lost his patience, a Redditor wrote. The billionaire has been a keen observer of the cryptocurrency space for many years in the wake of the onslaught, which brought the crypto market to its knees after a 90% decline. Breyer's faith in crypto remains steadfast. Speaking at the 2018 Fortune Gold Tech Forum, Breyer remarked that despite the shakeout, smart money was on blockchain. Oh, God. Quote, you don't want to bet against the best and the brightest in the world, he said, but perhaps he doesn't want to bet either way. I don't know. So did he, didn't he, who the hell knows? Mighty Thor is, uh, has a tweet here in this article. They're saying that, um, he says, this is extremely bullish. Brer Capital, Capital got rid of Ethereum from its portfolio. Let's go, V-Chain. Uh, man, dude, duders, come on, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Yo, um, V-Chain, really? V-Chain. Are you, are you serious with this crap? Jesus. Okay. So now a little advertisement and no, I'm not getting paid for it. Okay. This is just out of the fact that I love this space. Uh, Words, a monthly Bitcoin journal has released its March, 2020 journal. Uh, You can go get that at uh, their GitHub account. Uh, I can't remember exactly where that is. But honestly, all you have to do is search words, W-R-D-S, and the words Bitcoin, and maybe, you know, something else anyway. But there, anyway, the, the March issue is out. If you don't know what it is, it's a free publication that basically aggregates all the coolest stuff that was written in that particular month, right? Or, you know, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it's like the month of March uh, indicates all the stuff that was written in the actual month of March. And I'll see if there's a, I was just looking to see if there was anything. Oh, it's a 280 minute read. Okay. So if you read all the articles in there, you should be reading for about 280 minute, uh, 280 minutes, which means that it's a pretty hefty publication. And, uh, Joe Rogers does that out of the goodness of his heart. Uh, so, Please go download the March 2020 journal for uh, words. Uh, definitely, you're you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna be disappointed. Now, ad read number one over. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel. Coinbase says traders bought the dip. Reveals 1.3 was it 1.3 billion dollars of of Bitcoin, crypto, and cash inflows in just 48 hours. Holy shit, man! Uh, This was written today. Again, be careful. The leading U.S. crypto exchange Coinbase says it witnessed a tidal wave of deposits in the 48 hours following Bitcoin's crash on March the 12th. 
The exchange says $1.3 billion in cash and crypto deposits flowed into the exchange in that time period, which is five times the average. In addition, Coinbase recorded a 2x increase in new user signups, a 3x increase in trading users, and a 6x increase in total trading volume. Quote, but beyond just a rush, two things are clear. Customers of our retail brokerage were buyers during the drop, and Bitcoin was the clear favorite. Our customers typically buy 60% more than they sell, but during this crash, this jumped to 67%, taking advantage of market troughs and representing strong demand for crypto assets, even during extreme volatility, end quote. Meanwhile, peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange Paxful saw the number of new signups double in March. London-based crypto exchange Luno revealed a 50% surge in new users in the last 30 days. Bitfinex and OKX OKX, also reported notable growth in new users this month, reports Decrypt. In addition, the crypto exchange Kraken reported an 83% surge in signups and a 300% uptick in the number of users going through the Know Your Customer process. Kraken CEO Jesse Powell says he's increasing his staff by nearly 10% to meet the influx of new users. So, geez, I guess if you need a job, hit Jesse Powell up, bro. Maybe he'll let you work from home. Who knows? Uh, Cannabis shops are using Zap's Lightning app during coronavirus cash crunch. Again, April the 1st. This is out of Coindesk. And we have Lee Kuhn writing it. I wonder how she's going to shit all over Bitcoin today. Let's find out. It's now easier than ever to use Bitcoin to support regular businesses beyond the crypto bubble. Zap founder Jack Ballers. No, I'm sorry. That's Jack Mallers, but the dude's Ballers, so whatever. Best known for lightning-friendly Bitcoin services, just launched a desktop tipping product to complement the Strike Payments app. Just like the mobile app, the tipping feature allows senders to give uh, either Bitcoin or dollars while users receive dollars in their bank accounts. Each Strike username is automatically given a public tipping website. Mallers works with trading desks on the back end, so users only see a Venmo-like interface. Spenders can scan a, a QR code the same way they would for spending fiat with a regular fintech app. Users are not even required to know what Bitcoin is. Man, talk about abstracting away all the bullshit. Quote, every Strike user is given a public domain at strike.me, Maller said. We're using Lightning for really fast online settlement of value transfers. It's also beneficial for privacy on the sender side. End quote. The Zap team, which has been experimenting with Strike since January, onboarded two cannabis dispensaries, Last weekend, Johnny Currish, general manager at Boulder's Helping Hands Herbals, said that the closed beta program processed roughly $1,000 worth of purchases over the weekend. Now the dispensary will switch to only accepting contractless strike payments, Currish said, an anomaly in a region where most cannabis dispensaries are cash-only establishments. Employees at Helping Hands no longer touch customers to accept cash or cards. Quote, We're really lucky to have curbside drop-offs. We check the IDs through the roll-up window, deliver the cannabis to a podium at the front of the car. We're happy to reopen with with an option that's safe for our staff. Eventually, Maller said he'd like to also allow options for debit cards 
so people can spend their Bitcoin tips at the grocery store as fiat. For now, the beta app for peer-to-peer transfers and its completely complimentary website for receiving tips has more than 5,000 people on the waiting list. Maller said he aims to open up the beta program to the public by summertime. So far, roughly 100 beta users are transacting with up to $20,000 a month. Quote, the point of the beta is to go at our own pace, Maller said. Just like PayPal, Zap is a traditional money transmission business, Maller said. For customers who have bank accounts in any American state but New York, plus anyone who wants to receive Bitcoin can use Strike to send value to the Zap Bitcoin wallet. Maller said he hopes, even beyond merchants, content makers and performers can use the Strike tipping feature to accept tips from fans around the world. Since Bitcoin is a universal payments technology, quote, We live trade as you use the app, Maller said, describing how Zap scaled the back-end trading operation with custom algorithms. Quote, our balance sheet is always remaining flat. So this is going to be kind of interesting. Maller's parents, at least his mom, I'm, I'm thinking it's both his mom and his dad, operate a couple, I think at least one, if not two, uh, Go uh, pot stores, or, or I'm sorry, cannabis dispensaries. Uh, let's be fair about it. Um, and these had been early adopters of the technology. Of course, it's their son, and he's producing something that is actually really, really valuable to the cannabis industry, considering that it is cash only. Why? Can't get a bank account. Why? Because it's federal offense. Just because the states legalized it does not mean that the federal government recognizes it. And if you're a bank, you might have your banking charter pulled if you decide to bank these poor individuals. So they are generally speaking a cash-only business. This is probably going to end fairly quickly once they figure out that they don't need to endanger themselves or their staff by keeping that much cash on hand. Because honestly, think about it this way. If I see a cannabis store, I know they have a shit ton of cash. If I am a thief and I'm like and I have no no penchant for either breaking or entering after hours or armed robbery during the freaking day, then I know where to go get my cash and it ain't going to be a 7-Eleven. I'm really really surprised, honestly, that I haven't heard more <clears throat> about these places being hit um than I have. I either it's being underreported or I don't know what else, but Still, I I find it amazing that these people aren't just being robbed hand over fist. Enter Bitcoin. You can't really steal it. If it's done right, it's impossible to steal it. Absolutely impossible. Well, I'm not going to say impossible. Nothing's impossible. Only highly improbable. What is probable is somebody going in with a couple of guns to a cannabis store and possibly creating havoc while they try to steal the cash, which they know that they have, again, unless they're using Bitcoin. So really happy to see this from Jack and uh, uh, all the people over there at Zap, uh, making it a little bit safer for these guys to be able to operate a perfectly legal business in the face of the fact that the federal government is just dragging their damn feet. It's it's absolutely inexcusable by the way that the federal government has dragged their feet for this long it's it actually is just kind of bullshit but that's going to do it for morning roundup part one 
Let's get on into vitals. We have the major indices taking a bath. Of course, you know, I was thinking it was a dead cat bounce, but I don't, I don't know. You shouldn't listen to me. I don't trade myself, but even I was calling it a dead cat bounce. We have the S&P 500 down four and a quarter percent. We have the NASDAQ down a 3.8%. The Dow Jones is down 4% and the FTSE is down almost 4%. The Nikkei is down 4.5%. Uh, God, yeah. The only thing that went up today is the volatility index, which, which is up 5.92%. Uh, we have all, I don't know, the bonds are mixed. The three month is down. It is yielding 0.08. The bund is always negative, but it actually got uh, a little bit of relief. It is now only yielding a negative 0.45%. Uh, the Japanese 10 year bond is, I don't know, I don't even know if you can count this outside of the margin of error, but 0.006%. Futures, uh, oil is at twenty bucks now. That's probably that's West Texas Intermediate, I believe. I wish they would they would or uh, CNBC would delineate that because there's Brent North Sea, there's West Texas Intermediate, uh, there's all kinds of different ones. <clears throat> Let's see it, but its uh, percentage down is one point two seven percent today. Is there anything else here? No, it's all freaking bad news. Now Bitcoin is also taking a little bit of a dump. But it's still up above 6,000 at 6,226. Looks like the high is going to be over at Bit Asset at two, uh, 6,275. The low is going to be over at GDAX at 6,200. No, the low is at Hit BTC at $6,202. 298,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours with an average transaction number per hour of 12,500. 1.025 million BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours, giving us an average sent per hour of 42,732 BTC. The average transaction value is 3.4 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.048 BTC, pegged right at 300 bucks. Ooh, block times are really low. Eight minutes and 53 seconds. The amount of fees that are being taken on a per block basis is 0.179 BTC and 28.9 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 4% increase in the hash rate, bringing us to 107.9 exahashes per second. Last time nobody did dick on Bitcoin was sometime this morning. Ethereum at 130, Bcash at 215. BSV at 160, Litecoin at 37.7, Ethereum Classic is at 5, Dogecoin is at 0 0.0018. With 33,000 transactions performed on Doge in the last 24 hours, it's neck and neck with Ethereum Classic, it's beating Litecoin, and completely trashing the living shit out of Roger Ver's Roger Coin. So there you go. Now, my node has the hash rate at... <clears throat> Excuse me. Pardon me. Yeah, pretty much in line. My my hash rate or my node's hash rate is showing that uh network hash rate is 104.7 exahashes per second. We have light mempool at eight megabytes, representing a mere 2,388 unconfirmed transactions. The last 10 blocks, all those blocks were full, as far as I can tell.
Now, Lightning Network. Let's see what Clark Moody has to say about the Lightning Network this morning. Two or 929.98 BTC are in the Lightning Network. That is $5.76 million U.S., uh, we have 6,654 nodes representing 36,282 channels. Now, in Tor, the number of Tor Lightning nodes, we have uh, 374.9 BTC as Tor capacity. That brings us down a little bit in Tor uh, percentage capacity. It's down from 40.4 to 40.3. Number of tour nodes total is 1,934. That's gonna do it for vitals. Bitcoin gets removed from top slot on coin market cap. Will Heisman writing for decrypt.co April the 1st. 2020. That's today. Remember what today is. According to CoinMarketCap, the top cryptocurrency isn't Bitcoin anymore. It's toilet paper token. Welcome to April Fool's Day. <laughs> While the majority of the crypto market cites nominal gains, there's one token completely wiping out the rest. Get it? And it's the biggest shit coin of them all. Toilet paper token, coin market cap's foolish gag coin, is up 1,123% today, swiping the top spot from under Bitcoin's legs. However, unfortunately for those looking to get in on those gains, TPT is already out of stock. It just gets better and better. According to its lengthy, lengthy wipe paper tpt employee employs smut contracts to keep track of the total number of roles users have purchased all in an effort to ensure against hoarding quote holding tpt ensures wiper integrity and the fair distribution of toilet paper worldwide reads the wipe paper <clears throat> our dignified role is to maintain our position at our rarefied spot at the Turd level where love and belonging abounds. Oh God, with stocks low, the TPT team is planning an air plop. Jesus. Oh God, help me. And if that fails, there's always the initial scattering offering. Get it? Scat? Oh. Per the assets wipe paper, the token includes a stringent regulatory scheme to keep the SEC happy. Oh, quote, our know your colon process works with our bog standard proof of wipe chain, facilitating each user's KYC check that they are able to wipe by themselves as users that don't fall into this category are unable to participate in the token sale, reads the document. The notion of toilet paper token didn't appear out of the blue. On March 15, economist Noriel Rabini, who has had a long had a problem with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, posted a video on Twitter, first featured on video sharing platform TikTok. God, he's on TikTok. Jeez, man, talk about an April Fool's joke. Of a man praying or paying for coffee using toilet paper. Rubini, a professor at New York University's Stern School of Business, commented that soon most folks will run out of income savings and their credit lines too. So to survive, they need to resort to some other means of payment that liquefies some existing useful asset folks already hold. 
That's where toilet paper comes in handy, he adds. So maybe someone should rather create a virtual version of TP currency that, to be credible, gotta be fully backed by actual TP. God, Noriel. He added that toilet paper token will be a 100% fully asset-backed currency and, quote, more useful than gold. Jokes aside, coin market cap touches on an almost comical reality. In the wake of COVID-19 and the subsequent panic buying that followed, there's been a mass shortage of toilet paper worldwide. But like everything in crypto, it will go from joke to reality faster than Jackson Palmer can say Dogecoin. Oh, Decrypt. Nicely executed, guys. Absolutely masterful, pal. Now, <clears throat> is this one a joke? I don't know. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel on March the 31st. So, yesterday. International Monetary Fund issues a seven-step guidance to preserve credibility and integrity of the global financial system and lessen pandemic blow. The International Monetary Fund has issued new guidance on how banking industry leaders can help maintain an ailing system amid the coronavirus crisis. The IMF is urging banks to follow key practices to combat the current economic upheaval that represents a different kind of shock than the 2008 global financial crisis. Quote, never before have modern economies shut down at the drop of a hat. Pressure on the banking system is growing and higher defaults on debt are imminent. And many now expect a shock to the financial sector similar in magnitude to the 2008 crisis, end quote. The international body, which works with 189 countries to secure financial stability, is prompting bank supervisors to combine a number of strategies deployed during natural disasters, operational risk events, and bank stress episodes to mitigate the downturn. Here they are. One, don't change the rules. New initiatives could cause more confusion, so supervisors are being asked to focus on maintaining ongoing operations. Two, use the buffers. Proper management should allow banks to manage strains on liquidity and revenue loss from missed loan repayments. <clears throat> Three, encourage loan modification. Banks should be proactive in rescheduling their loan portfolio for borrowers hit hard by the temporary shock, utilizing flexible credit risk management. Take out a small microloan, pal. Four, don't hide the losses. Transparency will prevent the crisis from getting even worse. Number five, clarify regulatory treatment of support measures. Clarifying how banks should work with borrowers credit guarantees, and direct transfers, among other activities, can help with overall transparency. Six, strengthen communication. Working remotely during the unprecedented move and keeping everyone at home requires an open dialogue and some adjustments, particularly regarding reporting requirements. Number seven, coordinate across borders. The integrity of the global financial system is at risk, requiring broad coordination. The final measure is pivotal to the health of the banking network at large, according to the IMF, as the strain on the entire global financial system will pressure banking professionals to keep the very fabric of the global network intact. Quote, broad coordination among national regulators at the international level is imperative. This crisis will pass eventually. And the efforts, or sorry, and the effort, uh, effects may take time to dissipate, but 
preserving the integrity of the international framework will be crucial for the credibility and integrity of the global financial system. International bodies like the Financial Stability Board and the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision are working night and day to do just this, end quote. Mike Corbat, chief executive officer at Citigroup, the third largest bank in the U.S. by assets, says banks are walking a fine line in terms of strapping saddled customers with looming debt as more people file for unemployment and small business owners struggle to keep their enterprises afloat. In an interview on March the 26th with the Financial Times, Corbett remarked, quote, the last thing we all want to see is our consumers, our small businesses, and our big businesses come out of this with a precariously bigger or larger position of indebtedness. Oh, bullshit. That's exactly what you want. But whatever, continuing with the quote. So it's really walking that fine line of being as supportive as we can. But at the same time, not in any way calling into question the safety and soundness of our institution or of the system, end quote. Oh my God. How do we, we absolutely positively cannot call into question the safety and soundness of our institution or the system. That sounds like a bunch of fear to me, but whatever. Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America, the second largest bank in the U.S., pledges to retain staff and support customers. He tells Financial Times, I guess, FT, that the bank's goal is to relieve cash flow difficulties for its borrowers while acting as a bridge that can ease the transition between today's uncertainty and a post-coronavirus economic reality. Put a tie on that suit speak, pal. Uh, this just, this absolutely reads like fear. That's what it, it, I can't help it. It reads like fear. I think that they're scared. I think they should be scared. They should be absolutely, they should be freaking terrified of what comes next because nobody knows what comes next, except for the fact that it's becoming clear and apparent that many more people that always trusted the system are now starting to not trust the system. They've been hosed once before in 2008. And if you're alive long enough, you've been hosed about four or five times. In, I think, I remember the savings. I think this whole thing really, as far as the news cycle was concerned, started in the late 80s. I think it was 1986 or 87 with the banking and loan debacle, or sorry, savings and loan and if you don't know what I'm talking about, look, 19, <clears throat> 1980s savings and loan crisis. You'll find it. I guarantee it. What's not a guarantee is that XRP is a security. This is according to Sebastian Sinclair writing for Coindesk sometime. Was it, please say it's today. Oh, yes. Thank God. It was today. Amended lawsuit against Ripple now offers a theory that XRP may not a security. I'm telling you people, greed always wins. An amended complaint against Ripple has been filed by XRP investors in a long-running lawsuit involving allegations of breaches to U.S. securities law. The two-year class action, which claims Ripple, a blockchain payments infrastructure firm, violated securities rules with its sales and marketing of the XRP security has been refiled with additional claims to back up the case that Ripple and its CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, had undertaken unfair or fraudulent business practices. The suit, with former XRP investor Bradley Sostak as lead plaintiff, was brought on behalf of all investors who purchased XRP tokens issued and sold by Ripple. 
It alleges a scheme to raise hundreds of millions of dollars through sales of an unregistered securities, XRP, to retail investors. According to a court document filed on March the 25th, the sixth claim for relief asserts false advertising in violation of California business law. Notably, this amendment appears to see the plaintiffs hedging their original case, stating that this claim is made under the alternative theory that XRP is not a security. So in all efforts to win this case and get their money, they're going to go ahead and it seems to me capitulate on XRP as a security. No, XRP is a security. It was sold as a security. It cannot, it passes the Howey test. It's a security. Just because you want millions and millions of dollars, don't, this is what I'm talking about. Greed crushes everything. It makes bad decisions into law and it takes laws that were apparently built, you know, decades and centuries ago um, and turns them into laughing stocks. I just, it, it's ridiculous, but let's, let's go on. Um, the amendment seemed to inject the alternative theory into the suit in case the judge rules Ripple did not issue and sell an unregistered security. The other notable change to the suit takes aim at Ripple and Garlinghouse, citing their statements about XRP being a utility token essential for international payments and that sales are pri primarily to market makers. Quote, however, as discussed above, more than 60% of XRP is owned by Ripple and none of that XRP is used for anything at all other than to be sold in the future to invest, the plaintiffs claim. It also hits out at Garlinghouse's claim that he was very, 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 very long XRP and was on the HODL side, HODLing XRP for long-term gains, brother. That, the filing states, was false when made, as throughout 2017, Garlinghouse sold millions of XRP on various cryptocurrency exchanges. Review of the XRP ledger indicates that Garlinghouse sold at least 67 million XRP in 2017 and that he sold any XRP he received from Ripple within days of its receipt. Plaintiffs had the option to refile amended claims under California law within 28 days of the previous ruling. U.S. District Judge Phyllis Hamilton in the Northern District of California ordered in February the suit could proceed to trial. The action could include claims filed under federal law, but Judge Hamilton dismissed some claims filed under California state law, prompting the refiling. The order followed a hearing held in mid-January between the plaintiff, Bradley Sostak, and the defendant, Ripple, its XRP2 subsidiary and CEO, Brad Garlinghouse. And then they have the full... Uh, the full filing is actually attached to this particular story, but you should hold firm on your belief that XRP is a security because XRP is a security. This whole hedging makes this lawsuit look like an investment rather than an actual freaking lawsuit. Hate people sometimes. One million PC owners combine their GPU power to fight COVID-19. Now, I've kind of talked about this before, but these are new numbers, and it appears that they have, they being folding at home, has actually uh, gotten to the goal of one million users, which is stated on their website. Let's see what Liam Frost has to say in this decrypt.co uh, filing for April the 1st, 2020. No, I don't think that this is a joke. Volunteers have donated over one exaflop. A flop is a floating operation. 
<clears throat> of processing power to folding at home, making it the world's fastest supercomputer. Okay, let's see. <clears throat> Users around the world have donated processing power for over 1 million personal computers to help folding at home search for new therapies for the coronavirus. Quote, there are now over 1 million devices running folding at home, the project's director Greg Bowman said in a tweet on March the 31st. While Bowman did not mention the exact number of users involved, graphics card giant NVIDIA has estimated in its blog that nearly 400,000 gamers donated their GPU resources to build up the folding at home supercomputer. According to NVIDIA, the combined potential of volunteers' devices allowed the project to reach over one exaflop of processing power. That's more than one quintillion floating point operations per second, making it the most powerful supercomputer in the world. Nice. For comparison, Summit, which has considered the world's fastest supercomputer since November 2019, can officially sustain only around 150 petaflops or 0.15 exaflops. Folding at Home previously stated that it was the first distributed computing project to use GPUs for molecular dynamic simulations. Now the researchers will use this power to solve the problem of COVID-19's protein folding. Quote, there are many experimental methods for determining protein structures. While extremely powerful, they only reveal a single snapshot of a protein's usual shape, but proteins have lots of moving parts. So we really want to see the protein in action, Folding at Home said on its website. The project added that very little contribution, <clears throat> sorry, the project added that every little contribution helps. As each simulation you run is like buying a lottery ticket. The more tickets are bought, the better our chances of hitting the jackpot. Folding at Home's initial aim was to simulate and research protein folding, but it started to focus on more biomedical problems lately, including Alzheimer's disease, cancer, Ebola, and now COVID-19. The project utilizes idle processing resources of its volunteer personal computers via specialized software. Folding at Home Consortium currently consists of 11 different laboratories and collaborates with other organizations to help fight the coronavirus. As Decrypt reported recently, the World Health Organization has also teamed up with tech giants IBM, Oracle, and Microsoft, as well as decentralized platform Hasera, to launch an open-source blockchain hub that will collect and verify various data related to coronavirus. Judging by the number of other similar projects, it looks like the blossoming of decentralized technologies came in handy at exactly the right time. So, okay, that's, this is good. I don't find any problems with this, you know, at all. It's folding at home has been around. Jeez, God, I can't even remember when that thing started. Um, it's been years. I mean, I was, God, I was still, I was like, I don't even, I was actually, this has been over, this must be over 12 years old. Come to think of it now, now that I'm thinking of it. But for those of you who are wondering exactly what this shit is, folding at home, is about protein folding. Some people, I've heard like erroneous reports from people um, misconstruing folding at home as something to do with uh, DNA, genetics, mRNA. It has nothing to do with that. Um, the central dogma of molecular biology is information is stored in DNA. It gets transcribed to RNA and then gets uh, translated to protein. 
it's the pro I don't see you when I'm looking at a person, I don't see the person. I see their proteins. Okay. That's how important proteins are. It's everything from how you function, how your metabolism works, how you fight disease, how you get diseases, everything, everything is about your proteins. Okay. Proteins are like little machines. They're like little organic molecular machines and they all do these things differently, but they're, their function really comes about not just of what they're made of different amino acids or sorry, different amino acids in a row in a certain combination. It's that combination plus the functional chemical groups that are on the ends of each one of those amino acids that make them different as they fold into different configurations. They are completely different uh, machines. The same protein folded in different ways can do different things. So how a protein folds is, is honestly, I mean, obviously it's really important, but that's what folding at home is fighting to do. How does a protein after it's, I mean, after it's gone, from being stored in DNA as information to being, you know, translated into RNA. And from that RNA, you get the protein. All it cares about folding at home, all it cares about is the protein, nothing else. Okay. So anybody who's saying that it has something to do with DNA, you're wrong. RNA, you're wrong. Just be clear. Folding at home is 100% about proteins how they fold and what they kind of do when they fold. Now, for instance, the last example I'll give the pre, uh, prion stuff, you know, like old mad cow disease and whatnot. And everybody was so scared of prions. Uh, prion had this tendency to make a particular protein in neural tissue, i.e. the brain reverse its configuration. Essentially it flipped it and made it a mirror image when it got in contact with this particular protein. It couldn't function the way that it functioned before simply because it flipped. That's how important your proteins are. Really glad to see everybody donated, or not everybody, but I'm really glad to see so many people donated their compute power to this particular uh, thing. The, uh, th this project is really important. If you do have, you know, like if you got, keep your computer on, you might consider going and downloading the folding at home stuff. It's, it's a good cause. It really is. Uh, Germany continues Bitcoin adoption despite Rocky market. This is cryptobriefing.com's Liam Kelly writing sometime yesterday, German institutions invested in blockchain technology and startups working with Bitcoin have all enjoyed relatively smooth financial time since the coronavirus. The broader market crash brought on by fears of the coronavirus have been felt around the world, but as startups and investment firms in the United States buckle up for a bumpy Q2, some crypto companies in Germany are faring rather well. The second largest traditional exchange in, in Germany, Bors Stuttgart, reported yesterday that its trading application Bison had hit an important milestone. Since Bison was launched in 2019, the app now hosts over 100,000 users. The app Let's, buy, let's users buy and sell major cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, uh, Hobo Wine, and uh, Methheads 
reported shared, <coughs> sorry, reports shared with crypto briefing indicate the BTC is the most popular dis digital asset at current times. Uh, Dr. Uli Spankowski, Spankowski, <laughs> the CEO of Sowell Labs GmbH, which developed the app, said, quote, the number of active users of Bison has grown by more than 40% since the beginning of 2020. Even in the turbulent market phases of the past few months, we have been able to offer the usual simple and reliable trading in cryptocurrencies. On this basis, we intend to increase our number of users steadily, despite Bitcoin Behaving as a risk-on asset, much like stocks, retail investors that make up the majority of Bison's user base continue to move into the crypto market. During the sell-off on March the 12th, various post-mortems identify Bitcoin holders between 1 and 12 months old as the primary engines behind the downturn. If Bison can be considered a proxy for retail interest in Germany, many users have, may be unfazed by the latest downturn. For institutions, those that have a stake in blockchain technology are doing just fine. Commerce Bank's research and investment arm, Main Incubator, has been left relatively unscathed by the latest coronavirus crash. Part of this has to do with a diverse portfolio of investments in virtual reality technologies, cloud services, and of course, blockchain technology. In an interview with Crypto Briefing, CEO of Main Incubator, Michael Spitz, explained that many portfolio companies have been relatively resistant to the coronavirus. Quote, this is mostly because all the startups we support are technology-based, in quote, he said, as, and as tech businesses, they are used to delivering remotely. Main Incubator is the number three backed venture firm after City Ventures and Goldman Sachs Strategic Investments. CBI Insights reported that Commerce Bank has made 39 investments through Main Incubator. Investments in the fintech sector have been broad, ranging from work with Enterprise Blockchain, R3, R3, God, eToro, and HQLAX, a securities marketplace. Though the research division is capable of investing up to $2.2 million in the company, support also comes in the form of prototyping new products and helping startups build their communities. Naturally, many of the in-person events have taken a toll, and Main Incubator has turned to online platforms to bring parties together. On this last point, Spitzer reminded that there is no replacement for face-to-face -face interactions. Quote, although this pandemic is forcing users to adopt new technologies, the human aspect due to quarantine is still clearly missing. I have to agree with that. Now, they've gone after our memes, okay? They're coming after our memes. I hate them. Cole Peterson is writing this for CryptoSlate.com sometime yesterday. The U.S. dollar's climb invalidates money printer meme and damages Bitcoin narrative. Mm -hmm. So-called crypto Twitter has been enthralled by a widely circulated money printer go brrrr meme that takes aim at the government's incessant money printing with many crypto enthusiasts pointing to the Fed's current monetary policies as the reason why Bitcoin is so important. Despite these massive monetary injections that are at least partially fueled by money printing that inflates the United States dollar supply, the currency has been able to see some notable strength in recent times. That's because all other fiat is complete garbage. The United States dollar is actually the strongest one of them all. So fiat will flow to dollars and then dollars will flow to Bitcoin. That's the way that I see it. Anyway, um, this has led some prominent commentators to note that the narrative regarding this money printing being bullish for Bitcoin and bearish for the U.S. dollar is being invalidated. Money printer go brrrr. 
quarter. Although the short-term impacts of this loose monetary policy may not be phasing economists, investors, and even Forex traders, the long-term case for the importance of a decentralized digital currency like Bitcoin is still incredibly strong. The recent economic damage created by the coronavirus has led governments around the world, but especially the United States government, to take unprecedented actions to curb the economic impacts of this pandemic. These actions have required trillions of dollars worth of funding, leading to the resurgent in anti-fiat sentiment from those critical about the economic impacts of the massive inflation caused by creating currency out of thin air. In spite of this, it doesn't appear that there have been any short-term implications of this economic activity, with one popular Bitcoin commentator noting that the USD's value has actually grown. Quote, they printed $6 trillion out of thin air and the value of the U.S. dollar went up. Let that sink in. How's that narrative working out for you? I wish you'd give me that person's name. I want to go trash him a little bit. Although those holding and interacting with U.S. dollars may not be seeing any immediate implications of the Federal Reserve's massive spending, it still highlights the need for a decentralized currency like Bitcoin, even if it damages the Bitcoin narrative in the short term. As previously reported by Crypto Slate, the Fed chairman recently admitted in the interview that the central bank essentially has unlimited spending power, which was a harrowing statement that elucidated the inherent lack of value that backed fiat currencies have. Eventually, it is highly probable that massive inflation of fiat currencies will eventually strike a major blow to the traditional financial system as we know it, with scarce cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin providing viable alternatives to fiat currencies. So they came after our money printer go burr meme, guys. I'd be pissed if I were you, but I don't have time for it because that's the end of the snooze you can use. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you via, well, is brought to you by Jesse Livermore via Raul Pal. Raul's writing a tweet about five days ago, says, Phenomenal piece today on Bitcoin in today's market. Extremely valuable analysis and great guests. I was glued to the screen. Well, Jesse decided that he was going to voice his angst and say the following in response, says, I struggle so much with BTC. I just can't get behind it. It's like the Netscape navigator of crypto. Great first, but will ultimately be superseded. not much to say about that other than that that's your smoldering pile let's do something funny and let's do something funny from somebody new this is bad dad jokes on twitter again that is bad dad jokes on twitter i guess i should have looked around for yet more terrible joke twitter accounts and this is one of them Yikes. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, my uncle works for a company that makes bicycle wheels. He's the spokesman. Oh, nice first showing for bad dad jokes. I'll have to keep bad dad jokes in mind. Again, that is bad dad jokes on Twitter. So uh, let's see, that's going to do it for everything except the chicken report. I have been putting our six chickens, which I don't know, I guess they're going to roughly 
At this point, they're five, you know, somewhere between five and six weeks old. And they're roughly weighing in at, I'm going to say, a, a little over a half a pound, something like that, uh, each. So, um, yeah, we, like I said, we've put them in the chicken coop, and they now live permanently outdoors. And we're, we're heating them up at night when it gets really cold with a heat lamp that I installed in the actual closed-off chicken coop part. There's an outside part and an inside part. Um, but every, for the last two days in a row, we've been putting them into a smaller chicken tractor. That's honestly, all it is, is just one of those little plastic things that you buy your babies when they're like, you don't want them to like, I don't know, fall down the stairs or you want to keep them kind of like in the kitchen and they can't crawl off. So those little plastic things with the doors that you can kind of configure in a square or a circle or whatever, it actually ends up working pretty damn well for a five week old bird. And so we've been putting them on the same spot. This is going to be their second day on the exact same spot that's really close to their uh, uh, coop that has a lot of grass on it because I'm trying to figure out just how much damage these little suckers do to uh, grasses and whatnot. And oh my God, they are ripping this thing, these little, you know, I think it's perennial rye grass and a few different, you know, a few assorted weeds. And they're just ripping the living shit out of it. And they are doing exactly what I want them to do. They're ripping the crap out of the grass and they are scratching and they are pecking and they are completely loosening the top one quarter inch of soil. It was hard packed. It is no longer hard packed, which means all I really have to do is go like when I pull them off, I'll pull them off. I think I'm going to keep them on for uh, three full days. Um, so they were on all day yesterday. They're going to be on all day today. And then we'll all reevaluate at the end of the day when we put them back in for the night to their coop. And then I'll probably end up putting them back for one full day tomorrow just to see how much damage I can get done. And I'm not really, it's not really damage. That's really the wrong word. Um, a reconfiguration of that particular plot. So it's like this particular uh, trick chicken tractor is about eight foot long. By I'm gonna say, no, it's gonna be like six foot long by about two feet wide, maybe two and a half, something around there. So it's not all that big, <clears throat> but it is certainly concentrating their manure and it is certainly concentrating their chicken activity, and it's completely reconfiguring uh, the ground. So all after three days or whenever I decide to pull them off, I'm just gonna hit that little piece of uh, ground with some white. Dutch white clover seed and perennial rye, maybe some hairy vetch as a cover or something like that. And then rake it in and water it over and boom, I'm done. And that's going from fairly hard packed ground where maybe I would actually have to till it. You don't really have to do tillage, just use chickens. That's what I'm doing. Anyway, um, again, final warning. It is April screw you day. Everything you hear, take with a grain of salt. You never know who's going to try to get your goat. And you also never know who's just trying to make a joke, but does it so poorly that it ends up morphing into something that scares the living piss out of somebody. So everything from Bitcoin to coronavirus, take it with a grain of salt. Don't just automatically believe it, okay? Because April Fool's Day is upon us. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.